0: You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode 63. On last week's episode, 62, we had Vienne from Australia, who's a pharmacist who used to be a refugee and has since gone on to become a pharmacist and actually eventually became a millionaire through her business. Next week's episode, we're going to have a special guest. That's Chris Hogan, who has a new book coming out called Everyday Millionaires that will be released next week. So we've got a real exciting episode with him planned. If you'd like to be on our podcast, or even if you have feedback for us about our podcast, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We've got several exciting things coming up for the show. In fact, we have a few Deca Millionaires that we've interviewed, and their episodes will be released in the future, along with many guest episodes. Many of you had asked about the Robert Kiyosaki interview. We will be releasing that one in the future. Also, if you're interested in, in multifamily investments, uh, send us an email We'll get on the phone with you a little bit about your story. That is, again, for accredited investors. If you're interested in multifamily investments, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. This week's episode, we talk with Jude, who used to be homeless and is making a remarkable comeback. He's got a net worth of over $5 million. Extremely hard to value some of the business assets that he has. We talked to him about those and the different businesses he's involved with also the real estate holdings that he has. He's got an incredible story. You definitely don't want to miss this. Jude is dropping value bombs all throughout the episode. Talks significantly about how important it is to have a great tribe and community around you and really build your mindset and have people around you that are are winners uh, that want to help you achieve your goals. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Jude. Jude, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're doing now?
1: Okay. Um, well, my background, you know, uh, like many people, I'm a, a up and coming struggler from the bottom. You know, I didn't have the trust fund or anything. Uh, c- c- coming straight from the trailer park and working my way up into the business world. You know, I had a lot of ups, ups and downs, bumps and bruises along the way. But ha- had some really great people in my life that, you know, were very entrepreneurial that I always got to see and. At some point in my life, decided to kind of change things and start chasing that entrepreneurial dream that, you know, America's kind of founded on, that everybody goes after, uh, and working towards it day after day since then. Currently now, what we're working on is a partner and me out of China – we run an electronics manufacturing company where we manufacture like our own cell phone parts, uh, car chargers, different accessories, things like that. We're getting into videography, coming up with accessories for uh, doing videos, even podcasting, mics, things like that. And
0: what is your net worth yeah,
1: today? Um, my net worth, uh, looking at it with the accountant stuff, um, having to pull some stuff up for this interview here. Liquid, we'd be right around $3 million. As for Unliquid, I don't really know how people you know, manage that if you go off of just what properties and everything are actually you know, worth selling them out retail-wise. But Liquid, I'd be around $3 million.
0: Yeah, and you're, you're well, well above that if you include all your real estate and your business and stuff. But I, I understand it's pretty hard to place a value on that. So do you want to just give us a little idea of what kind of comprises your enterprise and, and, and your empire between real estate and business and everything else?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Well, re- real estate's actually kind of like my pe- passion more so than business in a lot of ways, because real estate provides, you know, residual income. It provides freedom. That's how you know the wealthy build a lot of their wealth is through that. Um, and one thing, if you do studies, you'll notice that all millionaires and billionaires, one thing they share in common is real estate. So I, I do a lot in that. Currently, I have you know a couple commercial properties one of them being a 10 acre farm another one's a big office building strip mall of about 34 35 000 square feet that sucker was a really cool deal i picked it up two million we did some improvements on it uh, got some things rented out in it and that was recently appraised over three million dollars so in about a year and a half we made a million off that which was really nice then there's you know a bunch of different single family homes, which I try and stay away from those now. I can explain that to anybody who wants to reach out and ask me why. And then we've got some multifamily, like a little nine 10-plex unit that we have.
2: I'm just gonna yeah. read this here. I think this will maybe provide a good idea. So this is his answer to how's the net worth invite er, divided? You say a strip mall or an office building? That's what you were just talking about. You say you owe 1.8 million on it, but it was just appraised for 3.2. Yeah, you've got over a million in equity there. You say it brings in about three hundred and thirty-six thousand a year. Uh, nine houses that you owe about two hundred and seventy grand on, but are appraised at close to one point five, and those cash flow about seventy-five a year. A nine-unit apartment building, which is valued at about five eighty, you owe three twenty. That cash flow is about sixty a year. And then let's see, dividend paying life insurance. You're a 40% owner in a company that does over 20 million in revenue and, and a 10% owner in, in other. So your 3 million liquid, man, that's not, that's not quite accurate. You know, you're, you're, you're crushing it.
1: Right. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that.
2: (laughs) How did it all get started? I mean you mentioned that you had nothing right at the age of of 21 or 22 you you kind of started at that age and and now you're here in in less than 10 years how did it all get going
1: right well um so yeah, it came from this really rough childhood and I won't go completely deep into all that but ended up dealing with a lot of things the way you know everyone else does partying drugs i spent most of 16 through 21 homeless off and on just totally out of it. And I had some friends that I grew up with, you know, went to the same church and school that I went to and, Man, just watching them, seeing their lives, how awesome they were doing. Uh, one of them, he he came from parents that really encouraged him. They'd make him read like Rich Dad, Poor Dad when he was young, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, and his idea of having fun when we'd hang out would be like, "Hey, let's go figure out a way to make twenty dollars." So, <laughs> <laughs> having positive influences like that, and you know, seeing me where I was at at my age, where. You know, I was living out of my car or, you know, bouncing from couch to couch. And then I look at him and he's got a new truck. He's starting a business. You know, he's looking at buying a house to flip and all this stuff. And it's like, wow, I'm really doing things wrong. And during that same period, an uncle of mine who'd been in and out of prison his whole life, you know, just came back to town. He's like 45, trying to build a relationship with his son. And I'm like, man, I don't want to be that. Well, during this period, I had really gotten bad into some things, ended up getting stabbed a couple of times. That, that was kind of a big wake up there. So all this is going on and I'm seeing these other things and I'm really starting to analyze my life. Well, one day on the way to work, I was working at this restaurant. I stopped in this McDonald's and there was a guy there who had to have also been in his 40s learning how to do the fry machine from some 15-year-old kid. And that was like my moment. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And no offense to this gentleman, you know, he was working, but I did not want to be him. I was st- staying with uh, some friends. We were had this conjoined little party house. Called my grandma, gave her all my stuff. She took it out of town to where she lived, and I moved in under this uh, bridge, this o- overpass. And I lived there for the whole winter while I worked at this restaurant, and I sobered up. And from there, I just focused on trying to learn new skills, um, start stretching myself out just like anybody I could learn something from who was successful. I would tie myself to them and just start soaking knowledge and information. And then the first chance I had to finally open a business, I jumped on it, which was when I went into the medical field.
2: So how did you know, how did that, I mean, the medical field, so you saved, you started working, you're living under a bridge, you got a job, you started saving money, and then then you say, all right, you know, if I want to make it, I've got to start my own business.
1: Right. So it was about, let's see, that was 21, so 2005, yeah, so it's about four years later, I was working at a hospital in town as a phlebotomist, and they had passed the law for medical marijuana in our state. and. I happened to be down in the ER and someone was joking with me about it because they kind of knew my background. They were like, hey, you should go open up one of those stores. And I was like, haha, yeah, it's funny. Well, one of the ER doctors actually pulled me aside and he was like, Jude, if you have the opportunity to do something like that, you need to do it. He's like, if I didn't have my you know, 12 years of schooling and 20 some years of putting in time here, he's like, I would go do it. But you need to go do it. And that was just kind of like, whoa, you know, there's this successful, smart, you know, wealthy guy telling me to go do something like this. You know, maybe I should listen. And so went, kind of thought about it for a bit, went home, talked to my wife, we sold my car and took that money and went and started a business.
2: And how much did you have to start that business?
1: About five grand.
2: Wow. And, and you started just yourself and your wife. Did you have a partner?
1: It, it was me and uh i ended up bringing three other partners with me and we all just uh grinded it they were all kind of in the same position i were none of us had money or anything and you know we, we all worked second jobs while we got the business going for the full first year and a half before we were taking money from it and just poured in every extra cent we had till we got it up and running
2: wow so during that grind during those early years how many hours a week do you think you were working
1: Oh gosh. So I was working the midnight shift at the hospital on the weekend. So I was putting in about 40 hours there overnight. Um, At the time, this was a hobby, but I was also doing MMA. So I was doing the cage fighting, you know, trying to be healthy and just keep my mind active. So me and one of the partners, we were training that probably about 10 hours a week. And then we were doing the business probably another 50, 60 hours a week. So it was, it was a lot now that I actually think about it. (laughs)
2: wow yeah, totally and and maybe how where did that business end up going? How big did you get?
1: So we started you know with that five grand that I got from selling my car. We started with from that, and in our first year, we almost broke two million dollars um to our third year, we had done three and a half million, and we were just opening up our fourth and fifth store and just opening up our second and third warehouse so and we would have been tracked to, gosh, I don't even know. I said it a little bit ago here, um, but probably break five, six million that following year if we would have been able to stay open.
2: And then you mentioned, you mentioned uh, before we started recording here that it it got shut down.
1: Yeah, they ended up changing the laws, and because of some of our histories, we couldn't be able to fit under the new law and what they were doing. So we we ended up having to part ways and you know walk away from the industry, sadly, but. It was good. It was a great learning experience, and you know it opened the door to many other awesome things.
2: So this is pretty crazy, right? You got to admit. So at, at 21, you're you're sleeping under a bridge. You get your first job, and at 27, six years, five six years later, you you're, you're working for a company. You own the company that could hit four to five million dollars in sales.
1: Right, right. No, it was it was awesome. You know, God really blessed us there. Yeah, uh, gave a lot of opportunity and a lot of strength. So.
2: So then, from that business, where did things go? So then, you were back. You were basically back to where you were right before you started the right. company. Right.
1: So I had a friend when I started that first company that I actually went to to partner with because I knew he had money, and he told me no, it was a dumb idea, it wouldn't be successful. Well, after that company, he he's been interested in any idea I ever have. So when that went down we sold out of that company as I said we had about $7000 left over um each of us ended up walking with 7 grand so i had a wife and two kids it's kind of hard to go start another business and support them with just 7 grand you know i couldn't struggle like we did the first time so i went to this friend and borrowed 10000 from him he had invested in for a 10% stake in my new business and i gave the wife the 7 grand to live off of and me and another partner, we went with $10,000, opened up a cell phone store. And we ended up spreading that from Montana out into Washington over the next three years after that.
2: Wow. So I'm curious, going back to this first failure, right? So you started from nothing, you build it up, and then the company goes down. At that point, were you discouraged? Or was that, you know, in a sense, motivating for you to say, hey, I could do it, I can go Um, back and do it again?
1: i I would love to say it was the second part at first, but no, I was I was depressed. I literally I mean flat out honest. I went into work each morning when I knew we were shut, gonna shut down and I thought about killing myself multiple times. it was it was hard. Um, you know, I felt like I failed my wife and my kids. I felt like I failed my family and just anyone who looked up to me. And it took a little bit before, you know, my mind finally got pulled out of that. And it was like, wait a minute, you know, you look at all these guys that you look up to, all these books you read, how many of them have failed, how many of them have gone through something and they're able to do it again and do it even stronger and better. And you just take these lessons. So it took a couple months for me to get to that point. But yeah, at first it was hard. It was really hard.
0: Okay. So you, you started grinding with that. And you said real estate was, was kind of one of your big passions. When did you end up buying your first property?
1: Right. So let's see. My first property, the apartment complex, I bought that. Honey, do you recall how many years ago we bought that? Sorry, looking over at my wife here. <laughs> I love it, man. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, three and a half years ago. Holy cow. So yeah, three and a half years ago um, is when I bought my first property. I actually... That friend of mine that I said who was really awesome and his parents had him reading like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and all that, he took me to a real estate event, gosh, probably about six years ago. And, you know, I learned a lot from it. I was all excited. And it took like another two and a half, three years before I finally found my first deal. So.
0: So, how did, you, how did you get a hold of that first deal? And, and how, you know, take us through the process of buying that. Did you have to put a down payment? If you didn't, where did you get the money to get right. it and, and the contract and all that?
1: So, that first deal, I wasn't um, financially knowledgeable as I am now, where I understand, you know, creative financing and things like that. So, that first one, I did put money down. I ended up, we'd been saving up for quite a while. Found that first part. My wife actually found it. We were out in Washington doing work to open up our store out in Spokane, Washington up there or not Spokane, Tacoma. Sorry. So we were remodeling that place. And my wife calls me up, says, hey, I'm sending you a picture. I think I found an apartment complex. That'd be a really good deal. So I was like, okay, you know, I was on the MLS, which usually they're not good deals if they're on the MLS and ended up looking at it and running the numbers. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to get a hold of this place. So came back to town, uh, went and looked at it and just the numbers worked. I was able to talk the guys down, you know, about another 50 grand and we ended up picking it up, Used the money that we had saved up and got into it.
0: And did you put 10 percent down, 20 percent down on that piece of property?
1: Yeah, we put ten percent down on that one.
0: Okay, and that was yeah, the
1: bank wasn't lenient.
0: <laughs> and that was in <laughs> in another state, correct? From where you were living?
1: No, that was in Montana. Where oh, that was in Montana. In- okay, yep.
0: Cool. And then what about all the one after that? I mean, you've got nine houses now, and you've got a commercial building. Take us through kind of how those deals kind of evolved.
1: Right. So a few of the houses, they were all just you know hearing things from friends, like, "Hey, I know this." person, um, going through some stuff, whatever, then reaching out to them. Our, the commercial building, that one actually came from my realtor, though, who I've looked at hundreds and hundreds of places with. When we got our China company up and going, it was like, man, I need a warehouse so we can do everything out of. So we started looking at commercial buildings. And she was like, hey, I think I know one. So and it was actually her parents' building that they've been in forever. And it was kind of a deal where they'd had it so long with all the depreciation, if they were to sell it, their tax penalty was just going to be huge. It was going to hurt them. So we ended up negotiating a deal with them where uh, they owner financed it to me. So came in, picked it up, no money down and just got this killer property and they're being the bank on it. So they're not getting all those tax issues and life is good
0: that's awesome and and these nine houses you you've got an appraised value at, at 1.4 so they're all about what 160 ish was is that a and you but you only owe about 270 on them so did you buy those at a, at a significant discount put some money into them and kind of do the burst strategy on those or were they all kind of stabilized when you bought them
1: so m- most of them were all you know finding people that were just in in trouble, ha- having some issues, um, you know, whether it was divorce, going through bankruptcy, whatever. Five of those houses, though, actually came with the building, so they were on the same property as the commercial property. They would have had to have been uh, um, resubdivided and everything to get it out. It was going to cost them a bunch of money to get that done. So we ended up talking them into it, and I wrapped wrapped up what they were originally going to want from those houses into just the uh, price of the building. And then I separated the property, the houses off of that property. So they're free and clear and untied from the building. And yeah, that's that's why that's all so low on how much I owe on all the houses.
0: So, so you basically negotiated the building with the five houses and essentially got the five houses as part of the deal for free? Yes, sir. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so do you self-manage those now?
1: No, no. So at first, I was doing the whole property manager thing, wanting to save money. And I've learned so much since then. I'm all about freedom. I'm all about time. I have four boys, all under eight years old. I want to see my family. So I'm using property managers 100% now, and it has been a lifesaver.
0: And you, you mentioned to us before the show started that you're not a single family guy. And you wouldn't advise that now. Why is that?
1: (laughs) So, first, let me say I don't believe in leaving money on the table. So, if I had another single family home that was the right price, I would totally pick it up. You know, part of the problem, which I know you guys are out on the East Coast, um, I'm I'm not sure what state, but like you go to Ohio and you can pick up a rent ready house. For around fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars, and it's ready to rent all day long at you know six, six fifty. In Montana, a junky single family home right now because Montana didn't get hit by two thousand and eight like everybody else because we had all the oil around us. Mm-hmm. So a really junky single family home, you're looking at you know ninety to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So one, it's just the amount of cost. But then two, when you do get a single family home or even a duplex, but you're in this single family home and it's renting, it's renting great for a couple years. Awesome. Well, now those people move out, they go buy their own place, you move someone else in and they're good for a couple months, then they're late on rent a couple months, then they quit paying, they start destroying the place takes you a few months to get them evicted. You get in there, you know, you got to replace all the flooring. There's holes in the walls. Maybe they flooded something, you know, they poured something in the toilets, You got to do the pipes, whatever. Now you were only profiting, you know, $200 a month off that place, let's say. It's going to take you a year, maybe more to get your money back because it takes you a few months even after the remodel to get it rented again. Whereas like if you have a 10 plex, you know, and two units are empty and need some work done or something if you bought it right, the rest of the properties rented, it's still profiting. You know, even if you had to go down to 50%, at least it's breaking even. So it's just kind of a margins, you know, reverse numbers thing where the more, pro- the more units you have, the more safety net you have. Whereas with a single family, it's, you know, it, it's tough.
2: Yeah. So why don't you sell these? Why don't you sell these single families?
1: Like, you know, and that's, that's, uh, that, that, that's the hard part there. I've, I've talked with one of my, uh, investor buddies in town, you know, t- kind of talked about that where I was like, yeah, I think I want to get rid of these, go find something else. And he's like, well, you could do that, but you don't put money down on properties anyways anymore. So if you just keep these things, the property management's running them, they're building equity, they're still profiting you money. In 10 years, you're going to be sitting really nice on them. So
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, once it's once it's there, it's there, right?
1: Right. It's kind of that thing, like, you know, it's already there. So I mean, if, if a really good opportunity came around that just made so much sense money wise, I, I would be willing to liquidate them. But right now, I just don't have anything on the horizon. So it's better to have these, you know, nice little tax, tax benefit properties that I'm getting good residual income off of and building some wealth into. Whereas if I just sold them right now that I'm sitting on a plot of money that I need to find something for. And I'd rather have something come along than, you know, just be sitting on money.
2: Sure. And you got to go through the whole process of selling it and, and, you know, all that pain. Right. We also, uh, we recently interviewed someone that has eight single family homes spread out between multiple states. And and it sounds like she's been a little bit more lucky in, in the aspect of not having, you know, bigger problems, but same situation right. in the fact that they only cash flow between three and six hundred you know a month and, and if there was a big repair or a big issue she'd be in trouble for sure so uh, a little risky there I guess on, on some sure. of those issues. So I want to talk about mentoring and finding yes. a coach. You said that was extremely beneficial and, and, and helped you become successful Maybe talk about the role that's been. I think in some of the interviews that we've done a lot of people don't have a coach or a mentor.
1: Yes. So that's something that, man, I mean, even as a youth, I, I, my dad wasn't around. My dad was in and out of prison all the time. Um, I didn't have any good male role models in my life and it shows in the life that I lived up to that point. What, as it got older, you know, I always kind of craved some male attention and now that I'm older and I look back on it, I can see where I did that. And a lot of times I always picked up the wrong ones cause that's what I was around. But as I started trying to do things and get business going, I made a ton of mistakes, just so many mistakes along the way that now seeing things differently, if I would have had someone to kind of model after, someone to follow, that would have just helped out. Someone to even just bounce ideas off of. Now I've got, gosh, I've got like seven mentors now, the guys that I legitimately am paying money to each year just to be able to talk to. And it's been so nice. Um, one of my mentors, uh, P.J. Godimi, if you guys ever heard of him, he runs Secret Honorage. He's written the books Third Circle Theory and Radius. A just phenomenal, phenomenal business guy, and you know I'm able to go to him with things, and you know, hey, P.J., I'm working on this right now. What do you think? And a lot of times it's something he's already been through. Another mentor that I've been working with is Jesse Itzler, who you know you guys probably heard of him. He's one of the co-owners of the Atlanta uh, Hawks NBA team. Um, Just phenomenal guy, and another guy you just reach out and go, you know, I'm looking at doing this project, or hey, I've you know ran into this with an employee, you know, how how can I coach them in a different way? And these guys, they've just seen so much that it, it just helps. It's a wealth of knowledge. And being able to learn from their mistakes, you know, from their wins, just everything that they've already gone through saves someone like me so much time instead of me just going out there and, you know, randomly shooting at barrels, hoping that I hit the right one.
2: So how did you find your first mentor? And maybe talk about the pricing, because I know there's somebody out there that says, yeah, it sounds great. But like, you know, where do I start? Who do I find? What if, you know, do I how much do I pay? How does that all work?
1: So my first mentors, and it's kind of funny. Um, it's actually a group of them. There's this real estate group called The Kingdom Real Estate, and it was started by Jordan Payne and uh, Todd Fleming. Which Todd Flemings wrote a couple of really good books. Um, Jordan Payne runs multi-family uh, mafia podcast. Sorry, I'm giving free shout-outs here and I didn't mean to do that. Um, <laughs> no, it's <laughs> all good. It's all invoice. good.
2: As long as you can do it for us on right. when you're on the other podcast, you know?
1: Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> but um they they had this uh face Facebook group and so I was a part of it, you know, I was really active in it and it, it was for real estate and I wasn't learning anything new in real estate there. Um, In a a lot of ways, I'd actually done more deals than they had at that point. But it was just fun being in this group around all these people that were excited and motivated and doing things because, you know, as you get successful, you start losing all your friends because, you know, they don't want to be successful. They don't want to do anything. Most of them are still doing the same thing, you know, 10 years later. So started hanging out this group, well, they ended up changing into a paid mentor group. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I like hanging out with everybody in here. I like learning from you guys, seeing what you're doing. So ended up paying them. So there was five different mentors in that group and started working with all them. And, you know, once I saw how much better I was doing, being around all that positivity and just, you know, feeding off their excitement and all their wins, it made me want to do more. So it was like, oh, well, I need to look more into this. I need to start upping my game, and from there, I started going, hiring other mentors. For them, it was different because it was kind of, again, it was a, you know, this group thing. So it was, gosh, I want to say it was like two hundred and fifty dollars a month or something. I mean, really a steal of a deal. I have other mentors that, gosh, I'm paying probably about eight, ten grand a year too. You know, it just, it just depends on who you're working with. I have one mentor who. I want to give money to and he refuses to ever take money for me. so instead he just has me send money to different uh Christian charity things. So I really appreciate that and he he's phenomenal. but you know it's uh the the more I spend and the more I learn, you know it just seems the more I'm motivated and the more I make.
2: Yeah, I think you're right on on the mentoring piece. I think, and I, and I think people don't quite realize that, right, until they start talking to people or spending time around somebody who really motivates them and helps them think differently and inspires them.
1: Well, one thing you notice, too, I mean, all the information in reality is out there and it's free. You know, you got the library, you have Google, you know, we have YouTube. You can pretty much learn anything you want. But when you pay for something – it tends to make it a little more real for you where you're, you, you start taking steps to, you know, make it worth your while and your time. And that's obviously why there's, you know, different teaching things and courses people can take where they spend 10, 30, 50,000. You know, I'm not saying I recommend anybody do that, but you know, put something on the line and work with somebody. It, it definitely, it'll, it'll change a lot of people's outlooks.
2: So I want to ask you before we dive into some some rapid fire questions here. Oh boy! How has how are you now? You know, parenting your children, right? Coming from the background that you did, and and then being successful financially, how is that affecting how you're teaching them about money?
1: Oh, for sure. You know, uh, my wife and myself, we uh, we're trying both to be way different than. Our parents were with us. Um, we we both c- come from similar backgrounds. Her more on a what do you call it? Um, middle middle income. I can't even think of the term. I'm sorry, but yeah, you know she came, yeah middle class. Thank you. So she came from a middle class background. I came from obviously poor background, but we both had a lot of the same stuff in our families. You know, drugs, abuse, things like that, and. We're, we're trying to be such different parents. Um, where, we're both f- very Christian and church oriented. You know, we, we put them through a biblical based, uh, school, which is actually one that I went through, which is funny for my family being the way it was. They actually had me in a church school growing up. So that's probably about one of my only saving graces that really helped me out. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, we try and spend a lot of time with them. Like I, the nice thing about being, not only self-employed, but having systems and processes put in place, I'm able to take a lot of time off and we go on family bike rides and stuff. Um, You know we we try and do drives go out up to the mountains things like that and just spend a lot of time with our kids we do a lot of board games just even playing around hanging out with them like our kids are very active in our lives so just just from a good human you know standpoint we're trying to be better parents and you know really push ethics and manners and respect and things like that into them and spend time with them and encourage them and love them things that we never really had like Our our kids do not go one day without hearing, you know, from their mom or their dad that I love you. You know, we make sure that's in them. When it comes to the money thing, I ended up buying one of uh, the Kiyosaki Rich Ed books, uh, The Rich Kid, Poor Kid. We haven't done it yet. I ended up picking it up, though, and I just ordered the uh, Rat Race Kids game. So we're going to start working through those things. But Mm -hmm. I have been working with my older two. They wanted to start a business with me. So I told them, okay, well, come up with some ideas. Let's see what you guys think of. So they spent a couple months thinking of ideas. And then finally, they finally had one that came together really good that they liked. They want to start developing a... Dog, kitty, you know, just pet toys, things like that, accessories. So they ended up coming up with a name uh, called Kid and Pet. Uh, We're working on getting a logo done now. And they've been picking out designs. I've been taking them like pet stores, things like that. They've been playing with different toys. So they've been coming up with their own designs. And I have some drawings and stuff. When I head over to China here on Monday to meet with my partner, we're going to go look at some manufacturers to see about getting some of this up. I'm not building the business for the kids, though. I did tell them, like, I'll help you get your first few products. But from there, I'm going to drive them to the local pet stores, and it's going to be up to them to actually go into the pet stores and try and sell some of their products. So we'll see how that goes. And I'll coach them through that and everything. But yeah, it it should be a fun little thing. You know, get them active with dad, you know, teach them something encouraging. And yeah, we'll see what happens.
2: Awesome. Good for you. It's inspiring from a, a parenting standpoint. So I want to jump into some rapid-fire questions here before we close. Okay. What's been the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased?
1: Uh, oh man, I, I don't know. I think uh something from Sears recently. You know, I try and always buy on sale, so maybe twenty bucks.
0: Going out of business sale.
1: <laughs> oh. Sorry not Sears j c Penney's. Oh. <laughs> well
2: j c. Penny might be right there with them right <laughs> uh, most expensive shoes
1: most expensive shoes so i I'm known as the barefoot millionaire. Um, I don't like to wear shoes. I even go to my bank meetings and stuff barefoot. But I do have a thing for blue suede shoes. Uh, not many people know that because I never wear them. They're very pretty. They sit in my closet. <laughs> but I do have one pair that I spent like $85 on.
2: Okay. Most expensive car?
1: Ooh, I had a 300ZX. Well, okay. Actually, if you count my wife's car that I bought her, I bought her a 15-passenger van. That was 25000
2: <laughs> Okay. Most expensive meal out that you've paid for?
1: Oh, my goodness. Okay. I'm a foodie. <laughs> so me and my business partner on the cell phone stores before I sold out of them, we went down to Vegas. We're both foodies, and we're both totally into Gordon Ramsay. He, his restaurant in the Paris, and I recommend you do this, they have a, a pairing dinner that they do. It's $500. You get a, your own personal server and your own personal server's assistant. It's like a six-course meal with different pairings with each one, and it is phenomenal. And yeah, 500 bucks, and it was worth every penny, and I wish I could spend that every day down there and do that.
2: Nice. I tried to make Gordon Ramsay's turkey off of YouTube videos last Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, ask my wife. It was okay, I guess. <laughs> uh, so what was not worth the money, or what do you what do you kind of try and save on?
1: What do I kind of try and save on? Yeah, um, what's
2: not worth spending more money on to you? Oh man,
1: clothes. <laughs> yeah, and then on the flip uh, yeah. side,
2: what is? You said food. Oh,
1: yeah, food, food, every, food and adventure. You know, again, I'm I'm all about building residual income. Our our most valuable thing on earth is time. You know, God only gave us so much of it, so trying to figure out ways to have more time. I'm all about spending money on being able to create more time, more adventure, go out and do things. You know, we, uh, we, we bought into, uh, um, the Worldmark, Worldmark by Wyndham timeshare thing. So you could stay at every Worldmark hotel in the world. And we, we bought a huge chunk of that so we can just travel and go stay places wherever we want and go see things with the kids and stuff. So yeah, spend as much money as you can traveling and enjoying your family and having time.
2: Awesome. Good for you. What's been your uh, your best adventure or, or the trip you remember most fondly?
1: Um right now it would be our last big trip to California we took last year. Uh took the kids to Legoland. We went went uh, to to uh, uh, I can't think of the name of the cove but it's all full of uh seals and uh um there's something that looks like a seal. I can't think of its name. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably what they I that's probably it wasn't a walrus, um, uh, sea lion, sea lion. There you go. Yeah. Sea lion and seal. So, you know, taking it down through there and oh, it was so much fun. We, uh, again, cause we have time, you know, we stopped at everything we wanted to see on the drive. I mean, if there was a sign for something, we stopped and enjoyed it. You know, things that we never would have even thought we wanted to see and explore. So it it was a blast.
2: So I know you didn't do college. Did you graduate high school?
1: Uh, I did not. Okay.
2: So I won't ask you the GPA question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your predicted uh, retirement and, and net worth of retirement? Do you have any go- any idea on, on when you'd like to retire, or a net worth goal or a cash flow goal or any of that?
1: Originally, when I started my first company, I had s- set up a goal that by January 1st, 2020, I was going to retire. I have within the last six months dropped that goal and here's why i enjoy helping people i've started doing live speaking engagements i've started mentoring and consulting also Um, i'm consulting with a couple really awesome businesses right now and just helping people it is so much fun it is so awesome i did really i'm finding a passion for it and so I kind of talked with that one mentor that I said who won't allow me to pay him. Um, he he was actually retired in his early 40s and he, he now says he failed at retirement because he's back to investing and doing things. And by all accounts, he's still retired. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants, but he spends his time helping people. And I think that's so awesome. And that's now where I'm at is I'm still building my residual income, still putting everything together so I can free myself up. I am going to sell out of my China company sometime after 2020, once we hit, 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 some certain financial goals that we're after. Um, and yeah, I, my whole goal is to just be mentoring and coaching and helping other people start businesses, helping, you know, budding entrepreneurs and just continue doing that.
0: Awesome. What would, what would be your advice to somebody who's just kind of starting out their journey? <laughs>
1: um, got uh, a couple different things. Okay. Um, one, one, you got to change your mindset. You know, you you got to change what most likely you've been programmed to believe. You know, you got to understand the fact that you can do anything, anything anyone else can do. You can do it, too. They might be naturally more gifted at it. But you look at Michael Jordan, who wasn't very gifted and couldn't even get on his high school team at the beginning and all the work he put in to become you know, one of the greatest ever. So you have to change your mindset and understand that you know you can be just as great as him or anybody else that you want to be. You know, you can be the best you. Two, you need to start taking in good stuff to help lead you in that direction. So podcasts, a free thing that's just full of great information, great encouraging stuff, and a lot of knowledge. You know, YouTube videos, things like Gary Vee, Grant Cardone. And start reading, read as much as you can. That's something I didn't do till the last three years, and man, that's another thing that I made a mistake on, and I should have been doing it way longer. You have all that great info. You could you know come up with a million dollars and pay Tony Robbins to mentor you for a year, or you could spend ten bucks and go buy one of his books and just take in all this phenomenal knowledge. so those those would be kind of my recommendations for people starting out is you know, get get that right mindset and then start taking in as much good knowledge and information as possible. Third one would probably be change your circle. You know, if most of us starting out, we're usually coming from bad circles or, you know, circles that are trying to hold us back. You got to surround yourself by people better than you, more successful than you. And that alone will just help push you.
0: Awesome. Jude, where can people find you or get in touch with you?
1: So they can find me at uh, uh if you go on Facebook, type in the Barefoot Millionaire. And there. Uh, we're currently in the middle of building a website, uh, JudeMendonza.com. You find me there. But otherwise, yeah, I've got a, a public business page at Jude the Barefoot Millionaire Mendonza on Facebook. So
0: awesome! That's Jude with a net worth of three million, probably pushing double, triple that. Thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Much appreciated.
0: Thanks, Jid. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.